say this morning, I think, is going to elicit a worship response from you. It's going to demand a worship response from you. I'm going to keep it short, but it's going to demand a worship response from you. It's going to pull on you. And so, do not feel like you have to move or shift. You can if you want to. That's up to you. But I'm not going to... might be good to stick where you are. So we're talking about concepts that turn our thinking upside down, change the way we think about things. So I, I want to I talk to you this morning about the identity of Jesus a little bit. See, a lot of times we struggle with our own personal identities. And we're trying to understand ourselves and we're trying to understand our identity in Christ, yet we don't fully understand the identity of Christ. So it becomes very difficult for us to understand the identity in Christ. We don't understand his identity. So if I were to say to you this morning that my message is titled, Jesus is a worm. That might sit differently with you. Maybe a different concept that Jesus is a worm. Pastor Ren, you better explain yourself. That sounds, I mean, he's a lion of Judah. I've never heard of him as a worm. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10 says this. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will elute in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland. And as a bride adorns herself with jewels. But it says that he's wrapped himself us with a robe of righteousness and clothed us with garments of salvation there is a wrapping a clothing that God does we know that the robe of righteousness he puts on us but I believe I have a revelation in the Jewish it's called a ramaz or remez a remez is a mystery or, or more simply a hint it's something in the word of God that is hinted to you that implies a deeper meaning. In fact, it was a very popular rabbinical teaching model of how the rabbis would teach people. They would make statements that either they would test their students and ask their students uh, uh, to, to what was the verse before or after. They would say a sentence. They would say a part of a scripture and have them either finish the scripture or quote the scripture before and after or just quote the beginning of a, of a full phrase to elicit out of them, what am I trying to say? What's the deeper context of what I'm trying to say? Just by the beginning. Much of like I said to you, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Say, you know the rest, right? You've heard the words, so you know the context of what I'm saying. If I were to say to you, if you would have said, oh, that person's really bothering me, Oh, I ran into this guy at the store and he was rude and he, he didn't give me my refund and, he, and I said to you, amazing grace how sweet the sound and you would understand that even though you're looking at that person like a wretch, God wants to save them and loves them 
you could contemplate what I'm saying, the ramaz of what I'm saying, the mystery of what I'm saying, the hint that I'm giving you. And this morning, I want to reveal a hint that Jesus left for us about who he is and what he wanted to do for us. A mystery that God put in the word of God a thousand years before Jesus came. In all three Gospels of Mark, Matthew, and Luke, there's a statement that Jesus makes, and I've talked about it before, but I want to tell it from a different angle. Where Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he says, Eli, 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 lama sabachthani. The scripture says that Jesus hung on the cross, and he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani which translates, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I've told this, so I'll say it very quickly. When this revelation hit me many years ago, I saw it and thought to myself, why is this not translated? Why is this only one of two scriptures in the entire Bible that did not get translated from its original language into English? If it was written in Greek, why was everything else in Greek translated to English, but yet this remains, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And so I looked it up and realized it wasn't written in Greek. That out of the Greek New Testament, this alone remains between the two Gospels as either in its Hebrew form, Matthew records it in its Hebrew form, Mark records it in its Aramaic form to the reader, but neither of them record it in Greek, which stands out as a symbol, a ramaz, that says this is not a statement or, or a question that Jesus is asking. It's not a question. It's a statement. In fact, more so, it's a rabbinic style of teaching. As the people sat there mocking Jesus on the cross, Jesus answered, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he say it that way? Because he was quoting the beginning of Scripture of Psalms 22. To make a point, because they knew the rest of it. Their job was to quote the rest of it. This was a common teaching style. And so Jesus hanging on the cross said, as Psalms 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or in Hebrew, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Slightly different dialect in Hebrew. But there's a part in here that I think is very important. I just want to point these out so I can move forward. It says this. Distant from my salvations are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you did not answer. By night, but there was no rest for me. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In your fathers, they put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried and you were delivered. Jesus is saying he's not forsaken, but he is the deliverer. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. And verse 7 says, And I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned of men, despised by people. All who mock me, all who see me mock me, they curl their lips, shaking their heads. Rely on Adonai, let him deliver him. Remember, they were mocking him. Let him rescue him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the tomb, made me secure from my mother's breast. 
From my womb I was cast on you from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There is no one to help me. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Basham encircle me. They open wide their mouths against me like the tearing, roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax, melting within my innards. We'll come back to the wax. My strength is dried up like clay pot, and my tongue clinging to my jaws. You lay me to the, the dust of death, and dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have closed in on me. They pierce my hands and feet. David wrote this 600 years before the Romans invented crucifixion. They pierce my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and they gap at me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Divide his clothes, cast lots for his garments as they did it. Jesus gave them a ramaz. If you're the son of God, come down. And he says, I am the son of God. Eliah, Eliah, lama sabachthani. You know the rest. And they knew his hands are pierced. We mock him. If he's God, save yourself. Pierce my hands and my feet. They divide the clothes. And it ends with God giving a promise. May your hearts live forever. The end of the earth will remember and turn to Adonai. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For the kingdom belongs to Adonai and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. Everyone who goes down to the dust will kneel before him. Even the one who could not keep his own soul alive. His posterity will serve him. Telling the next generation about my Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. Because he has done it. He has finished it. But I want to come back to this one that doesn't sound like a moment that applies to the cross, but I think maybe it applies more than the rest. You say, what could apply more than piercing my hands and my feet, casting lots for my clothes, telling him if you're done. What could apply more? I am but a worm and not a man. Could be the most significant scripture in here that declares that Jesus was the one sent. He was the Messiah. He was the Hamashiach, the Messiah. And I'm wearing my tallit today for a very important reason. But how could he be a worm? You see, there's something interesting is that in, 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 in Jewish temple, they, they were commanded, the priests of the temple were commanded to, to put certain colors into the temple. They were commanded to put certain colors into the priestly garments into the robes of the priest. And one of those was a color that we would call red or crimson. It's called crimson. And what's interesting about that is for a long time, scientists did not know where they got that color crimson. They, they couldn't find it. And recently they finally come to the conclusion. See, they, they hadn't seen where they were getting it. They had stories from back then of how the priests got it, but they had no evidence today. And finally now they've started to see the evidence and they went, yeah, yeah, okay. So a lot of them for a long time thought that the, the Israelites were importing red dyes to make the color red in their clothing. They, there was a different account, but they didn't see any evidence. And recently they found the evidence and they found uh, the truth of, of how they were getting it and realized they were never importing red dyes. God would not have them import those dyes or anything really for the temple. It all came out of the nation of Israel. And so what's interesting is when you find out 
where those dyes came from. Now, there's a word that he uses here, which the common Hebrew word for the word uh, worm in Hebrew is ramah, R-I-M-M-A-H, ramah. And it's defined as either a maggot or a worm. And that's the common, customary language that you would use to say the word worm. But that's not the word in Psalm 22, that I am a worm. The word they use there is tolaf. Tolaf. But I am a toloth and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by people. What's interesting is that the word toloth is used 43 different times in the Old Testament. And almost every time, indistinctually, it's used as a reference to a color. Toloth. Crimson red. Crimson red. Even though it's a term for a worm. It's used to describe, and it turns out that that particular worm, there is a worm called the crimson worm that is only found in Israel, in the Middle East, and particular Israel. And it feasts on oak evergreens. It lives on oak evergreens, and it's used to make dyes of red. It's used to make dyes of red. But I want to tell you the story because I think it's going to move your heart this morning to what Jesus was truly saying. In fact, I might say that just the word toloth instead of ramah, the regular worm, is the entire gospel of what Jesus was doing on the cross. The whole thing is right in, I'm the crimson worm. So we've heard he's the Lion of Judah, but you've never heard of him as the crimson worm before. But I want to tell you that Jesus was the crimson worm. And I'm going to show it to you in a second here. So the crimson worm looks more like a grub. But it has some interesting characteristics. The life cycle of a crimson worm. I, I read multiple studies, scientific studies, just to verify most of this information. But it doesn't live very long. What it does is it climbs up the tree and particularly always the wood, the bark of the tree. And it feasts on the sap of the tree. And then it begins to, begins to use that sap to adhere itself to the tree, to anchor itself to the tree. As Jesus was anchored to the cross, so is the crimson worm anchored to the tree which it is to die on. And at the moment it would anchor itself and it would harden itself to the tree where it could not be removed. You cannot remove a crimson worm from the tree without destroying the worm, without tearing it apart. It can't be removed. It's anchored to the tree. And when it's anchored to the tree, it begins to lay eggs. And after some time, The larvae, they're hatched, and they're hatched inside this protective cocoon, this covering that the mother has created, a shell around the mother, around the worm, 
and the babies, and they feed on the living body of the mother for three days. I am the bread of life. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And they feed on that one. And what happens is, is that the mother excretes a red dye so potent that it covers the babies and turns them red. They start out great, but they are turned red for the rest of their life. Covered over them. So much so, here's a picture of the tree after a crimson worm has gone through this process. Not only does it cover them, but it marks the tree forever. The tree becomes stained in the crimson blood of the crimson worm. And on the fourth day, the tail of the, the mother wraps around the body and forms a heart shape. And then it dries out into a white waxy substance that falls to the ground. Once it's dried out, it falls like wax. My heart is like wax before you. That wax is then used a lot of times in ancient Israel to make a shellac for furniture. But the worm is harvested by the priests in order to make the color red. In fact, I got this information not from Christian sources, from, but from Judaic sources who are looking at bringing, finding a red heifer to be able to rededicate the temple, the third temple. They want to build a third temple, but they have to have, according to Scripture, Leviticus, they have to have a perfect, spotless red heifer that can only have up to five hairs that are any other color. It has to be perfect. There's only been nine ever found in history. And they're looking for the tenth. But the interesting thing is, is that this red dye from the crimson worm has to be mixed into the ashes of the red heifer in order to purify. The process of purifying the temple involves the mixing of red dye. And they have to mix it with the ashes in order to purify the temple. Oh. That Jesus hung on a cross, blood stained with his own blood, the crimson blood of Christ, to sacrifice for those. And that he would, in that moment, consecrate us as the temple of God. That he is both the sacrifice and the worm. He is both the sacrifice and the die. See, he's not just the sacrifice. He's also the die. Now, here's, here's where it gets amazing. If it wasn't already. It says that he puts on a robe of righteousness over us. And we say, Lord, we plead the blood of Jesus over us. We plead the blood of Jesus over us. And I think some of us picture like a, like a bucket of Jesus' blood being dumped over us. We're just in the blood. But you see, this particular dye from the crimson worm that Jesus said, I am the crimson worm. This particular dye was used to dye the priest's garments red. The dye on their clothing. It was made from the crimson worm. The robe of righteousness of many colors was made from the crimson worm. See, Jesus isn't just dumping his blood over you, but he is becoming your garment. 
He is clothing you with a robe of righteousness by his own dye. He died to give you dye to bring you to life. To put his blood over you like a robe of righteousness. See, you know who gets robes? Priests and sons are offered robes. Coats are given to us as identity. In the Old Testament, the coat was something that was given to you as an identity, a mantle, a marker of who you were, of your identity. And Jesus is saying, I put on you a robe of righteousness because you are a priesthood, a holy nation that is covering us with his robes of righteousness. It becomes the very color of the robe. He's the worm that dies for our priestly garment. He's the sacrifice fulfilled in Scripture. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own purpose, so that you may proclaim the excellence of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Ha <laughs> Now, a lot of times this die is, uh, in secular terms, was called Shani. Shani. Red dye. Now, remember, these are little tiny worms. And I can show you a picture of one of them as it was dying and secreting the red. As it was hardened around and secretes the red dye. But this, that dye was, they're little worms they're stuck to trees it was painstaking to gather enough to actually amount to anything it was a hard process to have red dye red dye was expensive it was a commodity so much so that Shani was used in the holy land during the biblical period for both secular purposes and uh, purposes and religious reasons uh, but in secular terms they used it for weaving for coloring of garments and it was obviously used for ritualistic purposes but in particular, it was used for a couple of religious purposes that maybe you haven't heard of, for ritual purposes. It was used for the purification of lepers. In Leviticus 14, 6. And as a component of the red cow ashes, I've already said. And that's from Numbers 19, 6 for you scholars listening. But what's interesting about this particular Shani, the red dye, whatever it was made of, it was so valuable that in Roman culture at the time, nations would pay tribute to Romans, to the Roman government with red dye. They would pay the Roman government with red dye as a tribute to them. It was an acceptable source of payment to the Roman government. Not only was it an acceptable source of payment to the Roman government, but it was an acceptable source of payment to your landlord. If you didn't have a coin, but you had red dye, it was acceptable and accepted as currency. You were able to pay a debt with the red dye. Oh, see, Jesus paid our debt. Jesus was the worm. He's not just the red dye. He's the source of it. He's the source of our payment. He's the source of life. He's the source of the debt that was built against us being paid off and made righteous. Now here's where it gets more fun. (laughs) 
John records. See, John's the only one that records it this way. Both Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they say, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, or Eloya, Eloya, lama sabachthani. The beginning of Psalm 22. But only John records the end. Jesus says, it is finished. The end of Psalms 22. God has done it. I want to give you that word. It's the Hebrew word, or it's the Greek word, excuse me, teleo. The root of that word is teleo. And it's passive tense, teleo. And it means to bring to completion or to make. This word shows up as he made the heavens and the earth. He made the heavens and the earth. It also shows up every time in the New Testament someone was to pay a debt. They paid their taxes. To lay their taxes. They paid their debt. To make, to pay, to, to, to do it, but not just to do it. To do it to completion, in finality. A completion of the act of making or doing. So when he says to a people yet unborn that God has done it, he on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've done it to completion. I've paid the debt. I have paid for this. I am the crimson worm. It's my blood on this piece of wood that makes you a robe of righteousness. That makes you the priestly garment so that you are covered as a priestly garment. I'm the robe dipped in my blood, the crimson dye. Oh, it starts to make more sense why when he comes back in Revelation, it says that he wears a white robe dipped in blood. Because he's the dye. He's the worm. He's the sacrifice. He's the payment. He paid off Rome. He paid your debt. While yet they were in slavery, he paid Rome for you on a Roman cross. He didn't come to conquer Rome. He came to pay for you. Ha. So they've been experimenting as they prepare for bringing back, trying to bring the temple back so they can dye the priestly garments according to the Bible using this particular dye. And by the way, this is not the first time that bugs have been used to make dyes. Or it's not the only time. It might be the first time. It's still used today. There's a bug in particular that they use to excrete red dyes um, so when you're eating Yoplait yogurt and it's got that pink tone to it yeah that's made with bugs that's a true story that is bug dye when you see red dye in food it's bug dye just thought I'd ruin your day a bit but what's interesting is you know my, my talit here that Shoshana gave me a long time ago 
She picked it up at Chuck Pierce's when she was down there, and she gave it to me. It has flames, right, because I'm a firebrand. That's, that's my thing, right? Red shoes, flames, the fire of God is in our house. What's interesting about that is, is that they've been experimenting with this dye, and what the problem is is they can't really get a deep red out of it. It's deep red in the dye, but when it dyes clothes, it keeps coming out with like an orange hue. It's red, but it's got an orange hue to it. And they're like, that's not the color we would call, we would call crimson. An orange hue. And so they're like, is this right? Are we even getting this right? Are we dying it right? And then they read something by the historian Josephus, who is not a believer, by the way. He was not uh, religious. He's not, he's not a good Jew. In fact, he's anything but. He, he's, he, we read the, the history of Josephus and why Josephus is so reliable is because he wasn't for the Jews. He defects and becomes a Roman citizen. But he writes the history of the Jewish people for Caesar, not for the Jewish people. That's why what he writes is so reliable. When he talks about prophecy in the history books where he spent time with the Essenes and he says they never got a prophecy wrong. He says rarely, in fact, the quote is this, rarely if ever do they get a prophecy wrong. They prophesied often, rarely if ever, meaning he never saw them get it wrong. So he records that. He can be trusted because he's not. he doesn't have an agenda for them. So the same historian, Josephus, wrote about the crimson worm dye, and he said that it symbolized fire to the priests, which is red with an orange hue. It's a reddish, it's an it's a orangish red. That's what it is. It's not quite a deep crimson. It's crimson in its dye form, but when it dyes things, it creates an orange hue. In fact, using it lighter, you can create some different varieties, but they've only been able to get it deep red with an orange hue to it, much like fire as Josephus wrote it. When Jesus says, and he pays for our sins, and John the Baptist writes, there is one who comes after me whose sandals I'm not even fit to untie that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He is the crimson worm. He's the one that stains us with the fire of God. He turns us into the temple, decorates us with the color of his fire. The fire is not just something that burns, but it's something that creates in us an identity, a coat of many colors that says, I am a child of my father. I am a holy priest. I represent the authority of heaven and I am the temple decorated with his color, his blood. What are you covered with? See, that's why it's really easy the scripture says die to yourself because I want to be died by him. That I take off my garments I have and I put on his garment of praise. I, put, I let him clothe me with the garments of salvation. His blood is my salvation. He wraps me with his robes of righteousness like a bride adorning herself with jewels. He's the treasure. He's the hope. Father, would you just pour out your identity on us? Lord, I thank you 
that you found it fit to be a worm who attached himself to a tree, who let his death feed the children, that we could taste and see that the Lord is good and that your blood-stained cross paid the price for us, that it stains us, that when we when we dig in deeper, when we taste and see, when we commune with God, it stains us permanently. It cannot wash away. It cannot be removed. But it's a reminder, a transformative identity. The mantle of his identity lays on us like robes of righteousness. That it's not our own righteousness, but his that we bear. We're not shining our own light. We are in our own color. It's his color on us. We are a temple decorated by the presence of God. By the blood of Jesus. His blood is our treasure. His blood is our jewel. His blood is our decor. It's what covers us. So that all that see know Jesus is our covering. Some of you people can't see Jesus on your life. You're not wearing your robe. You hide your robe. You put it under another cloak. Or worse, you run around naked. Because you don't want to offend anybody with your crimson robe. You don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable that you have a better robe than them. You don't want to show off how well-dressed you are. So you dumb down your outfit. And you don't let them shine through you. It's my mantle. <laughs> I guess this message this morning moves me more than most since the, the fire brand and the red shoes and all that is kind of like my brand. Lord, I want to be like you. Let my life be like yours. That I am want to be more a worm than a man. That others would have life because of my life. That what I do for you would leave a stain on others that it would leave a mark that what I do would be robed around them clothing to them that I would give out robes that my life would be a spiritual clothes closet a spiritual giving of clothing to those that are naked and poor spiritually naked and poor transform us God this is a treasure it is a ramaz, a mystery, a deep searching. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. There's an identity in us. The royal priesthood in us demands us to dig into the word of God, to go deeper, to be revelatory in what he's saying. Oh, Pastor Bren, this is a very scholarly message this morning. I just showed up for light and fluffy. Light and fluffy will never get you in the throne. It's the fire of God. 
It's his blood that represents the fire. It's the fire of God that purified Isaiah, that got him into the presence of God. There has to be a fire that lands on your life. Jesus is not looking to burn you up. He's looking to clothe you in his fire. There is a fire both shut up in your bones and a fire wrapped around your body. Would you put on the fire, the cloak of your salvation, a garment of praise? See, when you praise God, it becomes a garment with the fire of God embedded into it. The way you live your life, the way you worship, will be a fire around you, a flame. I've never seen I've never seen anybody start a fight with a man that's on fire I would only tackle a man who's on fire cautiously and only to try to put him out to save his life but if a man on fire was running towards me intent on harm I don't think I'd fight him I might run Think about it. If a man lit himself on fire and says, I'm going to burn you and started running at you, you'd go the other way. Oh, Pastor Ren, I'm pretty tough. I don't care. You don't win that fight. Is it possible that a key to our victory is how much we allow that fire to be wrapped around us? Allow that fire to live on us. Allow that fire to grow and burn that the enemy might flee from us lest he be burned up in the attack against us. Some of you need the fire stirred up in you. And I'm finishing right here. Some of you need the fire stirred up. Turned up. You need the degree and the dial to be turned up. You need to allow yourself to be the kindling wood of the flames of heaven once again. To allow yourself to be on the offering. To say, God, set me on fire. Stir up. Whatever's in my bones, release it. Release it before it just consumes me. Release it. Because the fire can consume and the fire can destroy or the fire can bring to life or it can nourish. A fire is a power best wielded correctly. Lord, let us carry the fire. Can, can I tell you, let me give you an analogy before I pray. Someone who stewarded the fire well. Chris is back in the booth right now and he's got a little bit of red tonage going on in his face. Not because he was involved with a crimson worm. But because he was helping my good friends, Pastor Marty and Pastor Cherie over at God of No Limits Church on Walker. Monday, their church burned to the ground. Quite literally burned up. And uh, the firefighters pulled up the giant ladders. They're spraying these giant cannons of water trying to put out the fire. They let the building burn, burn itself down. They just contained it and then they finally put out after it started to burn itself out. They couldn't get near it, so they had to wait. They let it burn itself out. I want you to understand, they did not stop the fire. They let the fire kind of dwindle down enough that they could get up there with the ladders above it and start spraying into it. 
And so once they finally did, they started spraying and one of the firemen snapped a photo of the inside where there was a wall where there, that not only that wall was untouched by any flames, but the fire cannons that went over it blew everything off the wall except for one thing. There was a picture on the wall um, that was from the movie Heaven is for Real, the girl that painted the picture of Jesus. That she had a vision of heaven and she painted what she saw, you know, her vision of Jesus. That was the only thing that survived on that wall, untouched, not wet, not destroyed, not burnt, nothing. The fire started 10 feet from there, burned the rest of the church, but 10 feet from there, it never touched that wall. Uh, and so the firemen were so moved by that, they captured a picture of it. So, you know, I posted about it. It went viral on TikTok. And then the next day, what did they do? They didn't do a pledge drive. They didn't sit around. They didn't even come to me for counseling. You know what they did the next day? They had to move two doors down to the closest place that would let them occupy the grass there in front of a marijuana dispensary. Yes. The dispensary said, yeah, sure, use, use our front lawn, whatever you need. What were they using it for? To feed the homeless. Their church is in the background burned to a crisp and they're feeding the homeless a day later. Come on. This morning they have no church, but they came and borrowed some equipment from us. Chris was there all day yesterday helping them set up their tent so they could have a tent service in the parking lot. Some of you remember the tent? That's the church that we did the tent crusade at. And you guys remember the big fire that burned off in the distance the other direction? Well, this time it was that same distance the other direction. And so this morning they had, they're having service. Hopefully it's still going. Praise God. I just declare more glory poured out over there right now. Under a tent under a tent because they won't let the fire of man put out the fire of God. And so they held service out there and I bet they're packed. And I bet there's news crews reporting on it. And I said, God, you're going to use this for good. You're going to make their church even better. You're going to grow it back. You're going to give them a brand new church. Everything will be replaced. I told them, I said, whatever equipment you need, we will provide. We will make sure that we help you with the rebuild. You will have a better church than you started with because they're authentic, they're real. They carry the fire of God and the fire of man cannot douse the fire of God. It cannot put it out. I'm telling you what, if you're a pastor and your business burns down, if you're a businessman and your business burns down, it's a, it's a bad day. It is a bad day. But their attitude reflects that there is a fire on them that cannot be quenched, that cannot be put out. Would we live that boldly? Would that be an example to me and the rest of you? That your bad day is not an excuse to lay down what God has called you to do. Some of you are like, but I want it to be. Oh, man. No. He already paid for it. He already paid for it. You have nothing to pay for. Your bad day is not payment for your call. It costs you something to use, but he provides the sacrifice. Father. Whew. 
Lord, you pour out something on us today, Father. We have a deeper revelation of who you are. That you were willing to come, not just as a man to this earth to die for us, but that you would be scorned and hated. That you would be considered a worm and not a man, but that you would take that on as an identity for us. That you would be considered a parasite and a blight, but that you would pay for it for us. That you paid for us to remove us from captivity into freedom. That you paid for our bondage to set the captives free. That you are the deliverer. That as the children of Israel was trapped in bondage in Egypt, you delivered them, God. So you deliver us now that we are the temple. And that you deliver us from, from bondage, from chains, from pain, from trauma. Lord, would you just begin to stir up the freedom of Christ in us that breaks every chain, that looses every hold. I declare that whom the Son set free is free indeed. That this is a room full of the free sons and daughters of God, heirs to the throne, a royal priesthood, a holy generation that will not have their fire put out by anything this world or the enemy can do to try to stop or repress the movement and momentum and miracle working power of God that in this place we move forward, we declare, we fight, we war, and we see captives set free. This is a house of freedom. Our God is a God of freedom. He came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. I declare that in every area that you have not been living abundantly, the abundance of God is going to be released over your life. You can no longer walk in lack, in least. That you must walk in great and plenty. That more of heaven is coming on you now in this season than you've received before. I don't care if you had little or much in the last season. I declare the decree that God is releasing the gold of heaven over this body this morning. That you are being empowered and filled up with the glory of heaven. That there is glory on you to see the wonders of heaven released in your life. That your life will be a testament that God is faithful. That God is miraculous. That He can do what He said He'll do. His promises are yes and amen. They are not no. He has promised you victory. And today is the day you receive it. It's released from heavenly realms. From heavenly places. I release the victory of heaven over your struggle this morning, over your battle this morning. As I said struggle, I saw someone's eyesight. I don't know if it's a physical eyesight that God is healing or, or your ability to have a vision for your future, but God says it's time that you see. It's time that you see. It's time that you see. 
So we'll see if it's physical or spiritual or both. Holy Spirit, let them see in the name of Jesus. Let them see in the name of Jesus. Let them see in the name of Jesus. I declare that they'll have right vision about their identity in Christ, about who they are rooted in Christ right now in the name of Jesus. Right now, change the way they see themselves, Father. Give them a different identity than the one that's been given to them. Things that have been spoken over you that may have given you a false identity, I break those words right now in the name of Jesus. I break the power of words that brought false identity in the name of Jesus over you. I declare there's a release over your life. That the crimson blood is covering you right now to give you, change your identity. If there's someone in here and you would say that you're not following Christ, that you've never accepted a sacrifice for you, made him the Lord of your life, that you're not bought because you have to accept that. And this morning you say, I want to accept the price he paid for me to set me free and make him the Lord of my life. Or maybe you've made him the Lord, but you need to come back into that. You've, you've, you've drifted away. And this morning you want to make a recommitment that says, I make him the Lord of my life. that's you this morning, I'm just going to ask in a second that you raise your hand or online just say yes, Jesus. Just say yes, Jesus, if you're online. But if you want to make that commitment this morning, if you want to be set free for the first time or renew that, and then we're going to pray. I'm going to open up the altar for our prayer team to pray in just a moment over you guys. And then we're going to come back here at 6.30 and we're going to see people set free and delivered on a different level. This is the warm-up. This is the anticipation. So right now, if that's you, you say, I want to come into a relationship with Jesus or come back home into relationship with him once again. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so I can pray with you? Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. all morning when I've looked at you I knew this was your day I, I was looking right at you when you looked up you saw me looking right at you whoever this is you know who it was for I just heard the Holy Spirit just say I'm breaking every word curse spoken over your life all those things spoken about your identity that are not who you are daughter from, from just in, in worship when I got up here God said it was your day to get free and I knew it that's why I was sticking if you saw me when I was saying that, I was looking right at you. We made eye contact, and I'm like, whoever this is for, you knew it was for you. And so God is breaking that identity, breaking that false identity into who you really are, who he really sees you to be. You will walk out of here completely transformed and changed, not just because you've come back into his loving arms, but because God is doing a work in you, and he's going to use you. It's not just your day, a marked day in your life, like all of us have gone through. But it is a day that God begins to give you use. He is going to use you to do things for the kingdom of God. I see it on your life. God says you will be fruitful. 
And I see you like a tree just blooming to life and fruit coming off of you. And God says that fruit will feed many. Like you're not just called to have a good life. You're called to feed the hungry. Like God is going to use you for the kingdom of God. And it's going to happen very quickly. Some people, yeah, God will use me. It takes them decades to bring to that. But God is about to take you on a radical transformation path right now. Hallelujah. So church, let's pray. Just pray this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your son, Jesus, who was the crimson worm, who died for me, who covers me with the blood, who paid the price, who rose from the dead to conquer death so that I would never have to die, but have eternity with you. I make you the Lord of my life. I position you as holy in my life. That you are my God. That I am your child. And none is above you. You are my authority and my father. And I reconcile my heart to you. Wash me clean. Let your blood cleanse me. Let it stain my life with your holiness and righteousness every sin washed away renewing my mind making me a new creation let the old me go and the one that is in Christ is the one that is alive in the name of Jesus hallelujah Some of you, there's a spirit of God come on you in that prayer. You didn't just pray that to pray with her. There was a spirit of God released over you when you prayed. Something awoke in you just now. I felt the presence of God begin to be released and awaken something deep inside of you. Oh, you might have been saved, but you were an ember and no longer a bursting flame. And God is bringing that flame back alive inside of you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Some of you need that stirring. You need your brothers and sisters to pray with you. We want to pray for you. Send us a message with your prayer requests through Facebook or email and let us know how we can pray for you today. Also, let us know how this message impacted your life. I love you. God loves you. Shalom. 